40 isolytic burst warheads, 88 plasma torpedoes, 236 photon torpedoes, 18 antimatter missiles, 20 pulse wave, 30 series five. I get it. And something loaded in primary position in the bay, sir. Technology unknown. We have one hour to hand over Jack Crusher. Turn your back to run. And the only way you'll see the shot that kills you is through the hole in your proverbial chest. Until then, enjoy. Transfer complete. Welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast where two Trek fans step into the arena and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between that Star Trek has to offer. I'm Cam Smith, and joining me on the bridge. And this is Tyler Orton, who thinks it's important for you to know that I was having a nice morning before all of this. <laughs> and we're here this week to talk about episode two of Star Trek Picard season three, Disengage. Uh, okay, so Cameron. This is what I, I, I fear in that, like, <laughs> uh oh, do we get to the end of the season in which we've had such a, a low bar to meet and we're like, OK, yeah, that show is good enough. We had a lot of familiar faces. We had a lot of settings on on a starship. Yeah, this is fine. You know, because this is what, what keeps going through my head. It was a perfectly fine episode. But in terms of storytelling, I'm just like, eh. Yeah, okay, whatever. It seemed like very s simple. Um, and there are things that I could nitpick. It wasn't like I was overly like impressed by this, but I think there's a lot of people out there who have seen like the first six episodes, you know, critics and some fans, and they're like, no, just you wait. Wait until you see what's coming. And again, I'm like, oh, okay. So I just have to understand that this is a 10-hour movie. And I, I'm very fearful that like we get to the end of the season and it's like, okay, well, the bar is low enough that this is just kind of a decent spinoff considering what we got before. And I don't know, sir, this is a fine episode. Um, I can talk about what I like and talk about what I thought was <laughs> complete flaming garbage about this stuff. But uh, <laughs> yeah. what's your initial reaction to disengage? I didn't like this one as much as I liked the premiere, which seems to be mm -hmm. a common trend with Star Trek Picard, where <laughs> the second episode is never quite as good as the premiere. Um, although the premiere or the second episode of season two was, I think, stronger than this one. This was a weird episode in that I think, you know, a lot of it is built around this standoff between the Titan and, you know, the new Amanda Plummer villain, Vatic. And... That stuff worked for me. I think Amanda Plummer is clearly relishing playing a villain on like a big budget sci-fi TV show. Like she is just having a blast. And I always love it when character actors plug themselves into kind of villain roles and make choices that aren't expected. Like there was a lot of just aspects of her villainy that you just don't see typically in Star Trek. So I'm sure we can wax poetic about her later on. I also just thought like the handling of uh, Shaw continued to be very strong mm -hmm. and there's a lot to talk about there. So in terms of those two characters and kind of like the central conflict worked for me in terms of these like 
oh, this sort of like mystery stuff that like we spend the whole episode hemming and hawing about who could be the father of this, you know, son of Beverly. And it's like, I don't know, they've telegraphed it pretty good. I think it's pretty obvious, right? And it all builds to a reveal that's like, yes, and? Like, is there more to it than this? No. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, that was okay. That was bizarre okay. that we spent a whole hour just st- stringing that one along. And the same thing with, like, paying off, you know, the reveal of Worf, which it's like we had two episodes of characters talking to it, uh, Rappy talking to a just a blank monitor because we've got to drag it out. So it was like two very unsatisfying reveals for me because they were both pretty obvious. The Worf reveal was incredibly satisfying unsatisfying i should say because like he comes in and you can clearly see the gray-haired <laughs> ponytail with the batleth like impaling yeah. people and then beheading them and then all of a sudden the klingon music comes on and then you clearly see Worf's face and it's like yeah yeah i figured it was Worf the entire time like it, uh, to me i just thought it was a poorly directed reveal right there it was um and can i be honest that this rap <laughs> the Raffi storyline is killing me, Cam. It's absolutely killing me. It's terrible. I want her off the screen. Um, so the other thing I laughed out loud out is like, okay, so the second time I watched it, um, it was very weird to me where she and Sneed were talking about how Jay, her ex-husband slash bartender, is also an artist. And I was like, okay. <laughs> but then on the second time I watched it, I realized that he had all this like speckled paint on his jacket. <laughs> you know, oh, it's just like, and I was like, "This is so stupid. This is not what I meant when I said, you know, show don't tell. Don't put like speckled paint on his jacket because, like, the it, it's so clear when I was watching that scene again in which Jay and Raffi are talking for the first time in who knows how many years that there was a cut line in which she or Jay established that he was an artist and." I was just like, this is just kind of the clumsy storytelling that I'm very, very concerned about because it's kind of a continuing thread from the first two seasons. And especially that scene in which Raffi's on the bridge of La Serena and she's just doing the exposition dump about how it can't be Taruko because Sneed is a broker. And I'm sorry, um, <laughs> this this terrorist attack happens one hour ago. <laughs> and Sneed admits that he was a broker for it, but then he redacted his statement. So like, okay, go free, sir. And I'm like, what? Like, it's just this. It's it's stupid storytelling that I I, I there are some like forms of TV shows and movies where you can just kind of blow by a lot of these kind of dumb things, but it just it draws so much attention to itself when you have kind of the the, the Star Trek Picard creators trying to get away with this sort of stuff. Yeah, like you could make a total just kind of zippy, superficial sci-fi action show and pull this stuff off and people would go like, yeah, whatever. You know, these episodes barrel by in like 32 minutes or something. Who cares? But like there's a certain pedigree and expectation with Star Trek that there is a level of intelligence in the writing. And when they do things like this, it kind of like clashes in your brain. And it just, I find that's something I really struggle with. And I mean... The, the whole Raffi Underworld story, I'm like, this Underworld is kind of comedic to me. And I do love that, like, the new go-to for, like, PG-13, like, drug addiction is, like, eye drops. I like that sure. that's now a thing. We saw like, that in the Judge Batman. Dredd. 
Judge Dredd, the Batman, and now we have it here where I guess it's more of an eye beam than an eye drops, but I'm like, oh yeah, okay. And it really seems like the whole underworld is just like a group of colorful aliens standing basically in a circle putting in eye drops, and I'm like, okay, sure thing, okay. I do like that Sneed was pierced, you know, at least on his left lobe. That's true, that's true. And actually, the actor who played Sneed was Aaron Stanford, who uh, had a recurring role in 12 Monkeys, which uh, Terry Metalis, the showrunner, worked on. But he was also Pyro in the X-Men films. Oh, wow. Okay. that uh, I, I don't care. Um... <laughs> Sorry. I, I'm not, that was not directed at you. Uh... I thought it was notable. I... Okay. Okay. Um, I just remember, it wasn't Pyro. He had like like dark brown hair, right? Yeah. Yeah. So did he shave it for this role and kind of molded his head for the Ferengi? Stay tuned for our interview with Aaron Stanford about his work okay. as Sneed. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the Sneed stuff, I was just like, okay, cool. We've got a Ferengi. I think this is the first time we've had a Ferengi with a speaking role in live action Star Trek since 2017, if I recall correctly. I think we saw like a... Uh, like on Discovery, there's kind of a uh, Ferengi in the background, and maybe there would have been one, like a cadet on you know, Picard. But okay, I'm happy to see the Ferengi again. That, that, that's fine by me. Like, sure. Um, yeah. And if you're going to do like an underworld story, the idea of a Ferengi being, you know, a member of that underworld makes a lot of sense. I just... The, the whole thing was built around essentially creating a Worf action sequence, which felt entirely like an Elnor action sequence where <laughs> Worf went into full bloodthirsty behead your enemy mode. And you're like, okay, like it's that whole Picard. Look, violence is bad. Don't ever do it. Now let's just like showcase Worf beheading people. Have you ever seen Worf behead someone ever before? No. Never. Like, the closest we've ever seen to him impale someone, I guess technically, was when he defeated Gowron at, what yeah. was it, the second, or no, it was the third to last episode of uh, Deep Space Nine, uh, tacking into the wind. Otherwise, he just, like, sliced people, or it was, like, uh, gut shots or something like that. This is this is just, like, um, <laughs> Worf, a.k.a., like, Freddy from, like, um, <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street, yeah, at this point. I'm just like, okay. I feel like more like Jason, I think, is probably more okay. accurate yeah, than right. Freddy. <laughs> He's right. not haunting people's dreams. <laughs> Worf, son of Jason. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. I want to go back to something that you had brought up earlier. Yeah. Is it that obvious that this is Jean-Luc Picard's son? Like, it, or Because there's been these theories being like put out there. And believe me, I'm not a Reddit detective. I stay away from all this stuff. But like that, in, in fact, that it's like a clone of one Jack Crusher, you know, like Beverly's yeah. uh, first husband, or, you know, husband, uh, the, the father of Wesley. And I did notice at the end of the episode, it is Picard looking at Beverly. Beverly staring right back at Picard. <laughs> Picard staring at Beverly again. Uh-huh. This continues yeah. on for a solid, what, 57 seconds? <laughs> and then, yes. Um, and then it's like, okay, like, she's not... A, actually saying it's your son Jean-Luc though and I just wonder if they're kind of playing coy with this I find the actor whoever Jack Crusher turns out to be as his character um I, I'm really digging the actor I, I think he kind of knows what his role is meant to be he's got some charisma to it but I'll just point out that 
um, the Jack Crusher name, despite all the aliases that he has, he used that in the teaser, and then he also used that name in front of Riker and John Luke. And I don't, but it just gets weird if he is in fact the son of Crusher and also a clone of Jack. In that, like, is she physically attracted to her son? Because that's where <laughs> things get like icky, right? Yeah. Yeah, that would be a little disturbing. Uh, no, I, I, this whole thing has been like last season. They're mentioning I'm the last Picard, and then this one, this season starts with I don't need a legacy. We have a LaForge, you know, child on the bridge. Like it just, I, I think I'm taking it that like they're going to set up Picard's son because it just feels like they're pretty on the nose. Last season was all Picard like. <laughs> I need love. I can't love. I can't love until the ending of I can love now. I, I really think like this show is called Star Trek Picard. If it was called Star Trek The Voyage Continues or something like that, I'd be like, well, who knows what could happen? But when it's centered entirely around the character of Picard, it has to mean something to his journey. I don't know that like a clone of Jack Crusher means a lot to him. But are they trying to tell the journey of Beverly? In that case, because then I, I wonder if there really is a Picard son. Is it Wesley, in fact? <laughs> I don't think it's Wesley. I, I That was always a fan theory, wasn't it, back in the day? Well, just re recall Encounter at Farpoint, where just that first interaction with uh, Beverly and Wesley and Jean-Luc, it was just kind of like you had these like awkward looks and it was just, it like I think it was like heavily implied, at least in the first episode, that maybe there is some questions about uh, Wesley's uh, uh, fraternal lineage or whatever. Or is right. it fraternal? No, it's uh, a paternal yeah. lineage. Yeah. The other thing I'll point out, you recall the episode Bloodlines at the very, very end of TNG where we yep. have Damon Bach coming back to make Picard think that he's gonna you know kidnap what would be essentially his son the rock climber mm -hmm. what didn't seem is like we're just kind of treading old ground at this point if this is yet again a potential Picard son that he never knew about probably but yeah. I, I also look at this as like you know, and I don't know how this season will shape up. It's only episode two, but the previous two seasons uh, often felt like Star Trek Patrick Stewart. And what's important to Patrick Stewart in a season? And we know he has sons in real life. Uh, I, I wouldn't, it really, I think, is probably in keeping with where we've gone the last couple seasons as to what would probably interest Patrick Stewart, especially for like kind of tying a bow on the legacy of this character. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm just I don't know. Like I, I just think that the the creators are, are trying to make us like question ourselves in which we're watching it week to week versus I think this would just play so entirely differently if we're binge watching it and they dumped all ten episodes at once. You know, it's just kinda like I don't know. It, to me I find this kind of frustrating. Like what why not why not have an honest scene in which you know, like Beverly is <laughs> awakened from her comatose <laughs> state maybe five minutes before that final bridge sequence. And they can have a legit conversation that feels really honest versus kind of this like, hmm, 
hmm sort of like knowing nods that we get at the end of this episode. And I realize it has to do with like tension, um, decisions, you know, conflict and all that. But I just feel like the creators are, are, are trying to play coy to a certain degree. Oh, they were they totally are trying to play coy. It's like you have all these scenes as well with like Riker where he's saying to like Picard, like, don't you see it? Yeah. Do you not see what I see? But he's never actually saying what he's talking about. He's never coming out and actually saying to his friend of decades what he's actually thinking. He's just kind of like sending clues to the audience like, you guys see this too, right? You know, not, uh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Well, I, I find it remarkable that the actor uh, Ed Spilliers, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, um, he looks remarkably like Patrick Stewart, but he also <laughs> looks remarkably like the holographic version of Jack Crusher that we saw, you know, like 30 years ago. So yeah. I just, I, I, I really think the creators are just trying to like, um, kind of like poke us. Um, I don't know. There's got to be like 23 and me uh, on board, like the USS Titan, right? I mean, doing like DNA testing nowadays is pretty easy. Uh, I would think one tricorder swipe could have solved this problem pretty quickly. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, more on like a kind of philosophical question for a camp. You know, you you recently uh, watched uh, The Sopranos um, over the course of the pandemic. And I thought you were going to say She-Hulk. She-Hulk, yeah, that too, that too. <laughs> that too. It, it, it was a series where, like, it, it lived up to its hype for you, and mm. it probably surprised you in many ways. But at its core, the show was trying to say, like, people ultimately don't really, really change, like, fundamentally. Yeah. Where... You know, you get into a kind of a a sister series, you know, at least a spiritual successor, as I consider it to be, at Mad Men. Kind of the message there is like, yeah, you can make steps. You can take baby steps forward. But oftentimes you fall victim to taking like large steps back. Um, it seems the message of Star Trek Picard is like, you fundamentally change from one year to another. <laughs> there, there's no question. You absolutely change. And... I just it it's it irks me because I I just see these moments where you know Jean-Luc is raising his eyebrow to like a comical degree while he's in the observation lounge with Seven and Shaw and it's like this is not a Picard sort of like uh facial signature at all this is a Patrick Stewart thing and it's just like Look, he's literally like a synthetic version of Picard. We all know that. You yeah. mentioned it last week that he's essentially been like an entirely different character in like a Picard skin since we started with season one. But it's just what I'm getting at ultimately is like now we have, as someone described her while we were at Fan Expo Vancouver uh, this past weekend, we have Commando Crusher. Yeah. And I'm just, and like, Everything that, you know, one Jack Crusher is telling us is, you know, uh, essentially she, his mother turned him into a killing machine or whatever. I'm just like. <laughs> Space pirate? Well, I don't know. It's just, is this really supposed to be like the same character? Like, I, I mean, well, the answer is like, yes, this is called character growth. And I'm like, but does it seem honest? Like, how many people do you know from like decades ago? That are like truly different people. Like people can like like make steps and strides, or like like these qualities change, or people learn from lessons. But I don't know. Like how many people are fundamentally different at their core 
than they are, you know, you know, 20 years ago versus now. I mean, I guess if there's like major, major life events or something that can definitely shake people and change them to a degree. Typically, they say as you get older, you just become kind of a more exaggerated version of how you yeah. were already, which yeah. I mean, judging from family members around me who have gotten older, I would say that's pretty <laughs> accurate. Uh, <laughs> you know, that people may become more mellow or things like that, or, or on the opposite side, more wired up. You never know. But they don't typically become like entirely different human beings. And that's something that like Picard has done definitely with Beverly uh picard yes and Riker. i guess the jury's still out but it does feel way more frakesy than uh yeah. than the Riker yeah. of tng yeah uh, and you know Worf is now decapitating people without <laughs> any sort of uh, hesitation you know why not just pull a phaser out on stun <laughs> would that not have resolved everything <laughs> just the same way except without the murder it has to be cool tyler and murder is cool on star trek picard it's interesting though because like the seven of nine stuff i just like i want to give props to jerry ryan in that like she was like this kind of raw character when we met her season four of voyager you know she was figuring out who she was and i see this continuity with her um, despite the fact that she's serial killing in season one of Picard, she's just squabbling with her girlfriend throughout season two. But in terms of Jerry Ryan's performance, it just like there seems to be this continuity within the character over the course of, you know, like 20 years since we've last saw her that I can buy more so than some of these other characters or, or or at least the performances like i like do you know what i'm saying despite the fact that you know i know some of this you know actually you know what <laughs> um commander annika hansen's uh insubordination it reminds me very much of seven of nine yes. from her time on voyager as well you know it does but what i liked about it was that it was about saving you know in this case picard and Riker. like she was making motions to help her friends. Uh, uh, friendships that have maybe been a little shakily defined, but nonetheless, putting herself, putting herself out there to help her friends. Which, like, the Seven, if you go back to early days of Voyager, you know, season four, and you know, so forth, it's a character who wouldn't put herself out there necessarily for those connections. So you can see the growth of the character, and I like that the um, kind of the back-and-forth dynamic between her and Shaw feels grounded in like something that's kind of real and like an actual conflict I can understand in Star Trek human terms where I can understand her point of view. Shaw's point of view makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, Shaw very much believes in the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. <laughs> he is not, <laughs> yeah. he does not care about the one or the two in this case uh, at all. Uh, so like, I like that there's a genuine, you know, conflict there that I can understand. And it, made sense how seven you know was willing to stand up for it and ultimately take a certain amount of um punishment for it as well do you think the creators of this show looked at jellico and they're like let's make him just a little bit better looking but essentially <laughs> give him the same like personality and turn this into shop it, it like i i just like Jellico's gone through such a reevaluation among the fans over the past couple decades 
And I honestly think like fans are kind of on board board with Jellico at this point. He's on a children's show now. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Um, but it's so fascinating in, in that like um you've kind of got this Jellico-esque character in Shaw. He is not a Captain Pike, you know, kind of the likable dad character. But Mm-mm. he's also like super relatable. To a degree, and like he's kind of the character, he's a fan character who, if he was plopped into this ridiculous Star Trek universe and put in these like super like deranged situations, he's being like completely logical and smart about it. He's just being smarmy about it at yeah. the same time. But I, I'm honestly, I'm loving Sean because they're creating a character who's so distinct. He's also, at least two episodes in, he's thinking with his noggin. Yeah. Versus some of the other characters that just, I'm just like, eh, okay, I mean, I guess you're doing this because the uh, the overall 10-episode plot dictates that you make this decision rather than logic. Well, and I thought it was interesting, some of the language he, he uses, too, where he says, like, there's 500 souls on this ship, which is, like, a kind of, like, personal way to address them versus, like, I have 500 personnel on this ship I need to yeah. protect. Yeah. And so it's like you can see that there's like a beating heart to this character, but there is like a real kind of like arrogance and toughness to him that does not belong in the world of very wistful emotional Picard. <laughs> I don't know. It's like if this fella uh if he dies by the midway point of the season, I think that's just such a loss for uh the uh the the, the Star Trek universe. I suspect though they might want to keep their options open with this particular captain i just i i think he really is killing it you know just two episodes in just give this guy a, a distinct personality and like just doesn't seem that hard to do and it, it also just kind of a, a worldview in which people can relate to and i think they're very successful with doing that with pike as well and freeman of course um and i just again i like i i hate picking on discovery so much but it's like how many people have the same kind of messiah complex day to day that say Burnham does, or or how many people are like defined by trauma the same way that Burnham is? Like I just don't know how relatable Burnham is as a main character. And again, I have enough self awareness <laughs> to say this that a uh, uh, white guy <laughs> is saying this about a woman of color, and yeah. I'm I'm using the word relatable. Like I get it, people, but like I'm. I'm talking about character traits, like like the Messiah complex stuff, the, the the trauma stuff that has nothing to do with people's like um, background. And uh, it, it also irks me that it's like the people that I think that they've been like um, very successful with is you know like uh, Shaw and Pike. But let, let, let me point to this, um, Captain Freeman. I, they've also been very successful with her and, and like mm-hmm. making her worldview like very um, logical and understandable, even like those episodes where she has to go to a spa because she's too stressed out, yeah. you know? So it, it's like, it just kind of frustrates me kind of like, I don't know. Cam, I love Star Trek, but Star Trek frustrates me. That, that's what I'm ultimately getting. That is the one takeaway you should have from my review of episode two of uh, season three of Picard, Disengage. Yeah. Um, no, I think, well, there's the old uh, saying they always say, I don't think it was said maybe originally about Star Trek, but it's like, no one hates Star Trek more than Star Trek fans <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because they just get so frustrated. And you hear that about Star Wars or even, I've heard it about golf even. Um, 
Yeah, that no one's more frustrated by these things than the fans of it. Um, what did you think of Amanda Plummer? Because this is our big reveal to her in this episode. Well, she's so much fun. Like, have mm-hmm. you ever watched an Amanda Plummer performance? And you're like, oh yeah, that was like nothing. Like, oh yeah, what what a wallflower there. You know, like yeah. um, you know. So <laughs> here's the thing that's gonna hang over my head. How long is she the main villain? for this is it going to be <laughs> another eight episodes of her just like following the crew around you know from system to system she wants okay so cam she wants jack uh, jack crusher it, it's not yeah. john luke that she wants you know like we were speculating um that maybe oh my god is this gonna be a season where she's just trying to take revenge against john luke and drawing him into this nebula because you know dr crusher's there I don't know. um that doesn't seem to be the case so what we do know then is that there is this quantum tunneling technology that was stolen from the Daystrom Institute, and it appears that it came into the possession of that um, no-name Romulan separatist uh, Tulak, or Tuco, or uh, whatever his name is. Uh, Tuco from uh, Breaking Bad, one of my favorites. Of um, and then just based on kind of how they are trying to you know, make you think about things like with that unidentified weapon technology aboard the Shrake ship. Um, she's supposed to have this quantum tunneling technology as well. Um, she also wants Jack Crusher for some reason. We also know that um, no one is to be trusted, including Starfleet, which tells me that elements of Starfleet might want um, Jack Crusher for some reason. Um... So, like, I'm just trying to find, like, what threads we should be following throughout this. I just, like, to me, I, my fear is, like, it's going to be, like, super drawn out if Vatic is kind of the big bad from, you know, essentially episode one all through episode ten. I am getting major Bane vibes off of her. And it's not in terms of the performance or anything like that, or the aesthetics. The aesthetics are often very Wrath of Khan with what's going on with her in this uh, TV show. But um, they promoted the hell out of this character. She's all over the trailers. Uh, Amanda Plummer is going big. I love how she is just clearly delighted by her evil in this episode. Uh, But this character, I don't see as some, like, mastermind that was, like, you know, running this terrorist act at Starfleet recruitment centers. Uh, I don't know how that would ever tie into Moriarty or lore or any of the things they've been teasing for this season. We had Beverly saying, trust no one at Starfleet. I don't see Vatic portraying a particularly uh, influential role in the goings-ons of Starfleet. I think we have a big bad here that is in the shadows and they are using Vatic as a big distraction. Yeah. Um, which I guess, okay, so if Jack is meant to be Jean-Luc's son, then wouldn't ultimately the the target have to be Jean-Luc, ultimately? And I, I hate to say it, it's like, oh, well, you know, like, he's the father, but, like, Beverly's mother. But, like, it's kind of like, that's why I keep going back and forth. And, like, w- what would be the interest in Jack overall? Like, I, I don't think it has to do with the fact that he's... He's done wrong by some, like, baddies out in, like, kind of the uh, the Fenris Ranger territory or whatever. Okay, well, let's play a little thought experiment here, because this show is called Star Trek Picard. So, I, I do think it's, this season is going to be about servicing that main character, 
Mm-hmm. Um, this season seems to be pretty heavy on fan service, uh, you know, with having things like Lore and Moriarty and whatever on the show, plus the TNG cast. Um, is there an outstanding villain or something that could be in the shadows, kind of pulling the strings that would kind of bring things to like kind of a, you know, tie the tie the bow close to Star Trek Picard? Um, yes. Um, I, I like, I, I wonder how much I should say this because I am not, a, I, I get, you know me, Cam. Yeah. Uh, we had a conversation off mic. I am avoiding any sort of spoilers, even the possibility of spoilers. I haven't been looking at any of the reviews Same. that have been coming out. Um, I, like I've seen headlines like, this is the greatest, like, the, you know, Star Trek Picard's ever been. I'm like, okay. Um, I will say this though. You and I were at Star Trek Las Vegas. And Denise Crosby was a little bit kind of, um, I don't know if obtuse is the right word, but she was a little mysterious about like what role she might play in this season. And I I think all she said is like, yeah, Tasha will be seen. She didn't say anything about Sila. And and I only bring up Sila. I'm not on the Reddit boards or anything like that. I bring up Sila because we've been bringing her up since the third or the first season of Star Trek Picard. Yeah, and I wonder if there, you know, Sela is the daughter of a main character from the first season. Jack is presumably well, no, he's definitely the son of a main character from uh, six out of seven seasons, uh, uh-huh. perhaps seven out of seven seasons as well. TBD or well, yeah, based on Crusher's head nod, we'll, we'll see. Um, it could be Sela lurking in the background with this like technology that looks a lot like the kind of the scimitar from uh star trek nemesis which was kind of a uh a, n- not a romulan ship but a reman ship i i wonder if we're being set up for kind of a sila return which i think would be pretty effing awesome if i'm just being honest i think so too and it would give an opportunity to actually give conclusion to a character that really should have had one originally on TNG or a mm-hmm. movie, either one. Like I know it would have been difficult to explain in a two hour movie to a general audience, but um, it just doesn't make sense why they wouldn't have paid off that character given the impact of um, especially yesterday's enterprise. And also let's also recall Tyler. Do you remember what Q said at the start of season two Picard? Um, <laughs> I'm going to slap you in the face, bro. <laughs> no, he said, how very yesterday's enterprise of you. Uh, okay. And, and these seasons were, uh, it wasn't as if like the scripts were written, written simultaneously, but the stories were broken kind of back to back, you know? So yeah, yeah, it could be a call out. Uh, yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. Yeah. So like, I, I wouldn't be uh, annoyed at all if that's kind of what's waiting. I just think like Vatic. I love what Amanda Plummer's doing, but it does not feel like a, so far, multi-dimensional villain that would fuel, like, eight more episodes of story. I know. I know. I just feel like, wh- why why is her crew wearing masks, Cam? Yes. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They're all Sela clones. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> Or they just pull them off and it's all these like totally forgotten TNG villains of yesterday. Like <laughs> it's like Baran. 
<laughs> Bran from Gambit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Damon Bach once more. You know, um, you remember that guy with the mullet? Uh, that could have been one about forty episodes uh, uh-huh. filmed between nineteen eighty seven and nineteen ninety two. The elderly admiral from uh, Too Short a Season. <laughs> The elderly people from uh, the survivors, both of them <laughs> drinking tea. Armus. <laughs> that would be amazing if this entire season just centers around Armus. Well, that's yeah. what we've all been hoping for. Yeah. I really think if you're going to make a season three Picard and you're going to bring back the whole TNG crew, you're teasing the return of classic characters, I think they're going to go big. I really do. And I said this last week, or maybe it was a week before. I don't even know. But, like, um, I think you're going to see a big explosion of fan service by the end of this season. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's, like, I... I, This is what I'm I'm very worried about. Like, so many of these critics and and, uh, some fans who got to go to the screening, that you know... um, super excited about this but it's because you know they're excited about like fan service or are they excited about like really good storytelling like and and i know it's going out to critics you know as as well who would not be so bowled over by fan service but let's be honest a lot of these critics they grew up watching tng yeah you know like just those little drops of like oh my gosh you know is that commander shelby is that ro laren is that tom or not Tom Paris. <laughs> I was going to say Tom Riker, you know, but like those kind of little things might do a lot. Um, and that's why I just, I watched this episode. I'm like, oh, that's perfectly fine. I just wonder how much people are gliding off just the excitement of having, you know, seven, um, William Riker and, uh, Jean-Luc Picard all in the same like turbo lift chatting each other up and, and crusher sitting there <laughs> no skates mcfadden did not get a single line in this episode is yeah. that a budgetary thing? <laughs> <laughs> i don't think it's I don't budgetary think so. <laughs> no. i think she gets paid the same uh, amount no matter what i suspect she'll get plenty to do in the next episode onwards like i do think of the tng crew she's probably gonna have about the most probably next to frakes right I'm trying, like, I'm thinking through my head. Like, she seems integral to the plot because of the Jack Crusher yeah. dealio. And let's be honest, Jack Crusher is in the main credits. <laughs> Gates McFadden is a special guest star. Mm. So, yeah, uh, fair enough. Yeah. Um, And a character who I think we'll see lots of, but maybe not as <laughs> quite as integral to the story, uh, Worf. Um, so... We talked about how he, it was the debate, is he the one behind, you know, the security uh, operation that um, that Rafi is a part of. I was confused by a line of dialogue, and maybe you can answer it. Are they what she for... said, I am Dr. Julian Bashir, <laughs> dot, dot, dot. <laughs> it wasn't that was dialogue. my guess last week, anyway. <laughs> no, no, yeah. No, it was when they, uh, I believe it was Sneed, uh, mentioned Section 31. He said, like, Starfleet... Federation Section 31 or something like that. Okay. And are we to take that Raffi and Worf are Section 31? No, because I think he was listing like a couple, like he said, like it could be from like Starfleet Intelligence or it could be from Section 31. Like he was listing potential like folks that could be trying to get him to cough up some information or something. 
Okay, I wasn't sure because it seems like the Kurtzman era has kind of conflated Starfleet intelligence and Section 31 into one thing. Um, right. It would not surprise me if they have. Yeah, yeah but that's why I wasn't what sure. I understand, yeah, from what I understand, Raffi is with specifically Starfleet intelligence. She's not with Section 31. So, and I think Sneed was just saying it more like um, Starfleet intelligence? question mark section 31 question mark is like kind of like two different potential things okay fair enough yeah um i can we can continue our conversation with star trek picard we've got a wonderful guest lined up uh why don't we jump over to the next transmission yes let's do so Okay, and flying in on the shuttlecraft Savic, Dale DeRuder from the Outrage Factory podcast. Thanks for having me again, guys. It's a pleasure to be here. It only took one terrible season of uh, Star Trek Picard <laughs> season two. <laughs> I'm to glad you back skipped me with show. that one. <laughs> we, we did not want to torture any of our longtime guests were sitting through that season, which mm-hmm. Cam, we felt incredibly tortured. Although, Cam, you and I had a lot of fun podcasting that season because of how bad it was. And so we just kind of started making fun of it, like uh, just ridiculing season two of Picard uh, from the halfway point onward. But uh, Cam, I, I, I don't want to like lead the guest on in any way. Uh, Dale, what, what was your overall takeaway from season two of Picard because you you did come on and and join us for season one I'm just curious about your season two thoughts well season two was kind of disappointing um I was joking about you and on Twitter DMs I think when I said because I was listening to your guys's other podcast uh episode about how to save Picard and my whole idea was just basically stay in space and so far (laughs) in the new season they've done that because I as much as you guys were lamenting about how much the crew running around Los Angeles in a stolen police car was killing you. It was also killing me. Oh, good to know. Good to know we weren't <laughs> alone. I, I recall, yeah. Dale, I, I described that season as Earth Trek colon Patrick Stewart. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's apt description because that's exactly what it was. <laughs> Did at least like season two kind of kick off okay for you? I mean, it did for me. I, I, yeah, I liked yeah. that whole... Uh, alternate timeline Terran Empire sort of deal they had going there that was fun and then my whole problem with it was when they were in Los Angeles for however many episodes they were they should have just like tied that up to like maybe two or three they're they're only there for nine so don't worry (laughs) yeah it was like um every time that Star Trek goes to Earth and is in like the contemporary timeline. I'm just like, oh, all right, I'll just sit through this. And then it's like, like in Deep Space Nine, they go down and they're like, actually, it wasn't contemporary in that. That was that one where they're doing that ghetto thing where they're, yeah. remember, he was a writer about Star Trek in the future and it was all like, I don't know, kind of confusing. And that I was laboring through. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I think you're. I think you're talking about two different episodes here, sir. Am I? <laughs> so yeah, there's uh, past tense parts one mm-hmm. and two, in which they went to San Francisco and they had the sanctuaries in which Julian and uh, Ben Cisco were confined to, and it's kind of remarking on the homeless situation in the United States. And then a yeah. couple seasons later, they had um, 
Far Beyond the Stars, in which we're following Cisco as the writer for the science fiction serials back in the 1950s, uh, New York City. Um, uh, or am I just yeah, misinterpreting that... maybe what you said? No, I, I, I did combine the two. You're right. Okay. And okay. back then, like, it was a struggle for those for me just because it's not Star Trek. It's just like Earth Trek, like you said. And But those, at least, they had the decency to end after two episodes. They didn't drag it on. <laughs> <laughs> but Dale, they saved a lot of money doing that for Picard season two. And yeah. wasn't that all worth it? <laughs> I mean, from the episode two of season three, they spent enough money to make me happy with all that <laughs> ship action in space. The accountants loved Picard season two. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Okay. So we're two episodes in to the second mm -hmm. season of Picard. How's it yeah. going for you? Oh, sorry, I should say uh, the third season. My my mistake there. Okay, I it's weird because I love it and hate some things about it at the same time. Mm -hmm. Like, I love the Picard-Riker stuff. That's amazing. Keep that. But it just keeps like, keeps like they're doing like MacGuffin Trek where they're like, oh, hey, there's this thing. Like in episode one, there's the Red Lady. And they're like, oh, hey, we solved the Red Lady. And you're like, okay. And then they're like, <laughs> Wild Bird. And they're like, oh, you were asleep. That's like something that happened. And then they kept doing stuff like that. <laughs> and then in this one, they didn't do any of that. They didn't do like that. Hey, this is happening. Oh, okay, it's not happening. Like, But the whole... Uh, I don't know. I don't know how much you want to get into it before we start like talking about it because I'm kind of jumping all over the place. But ah, get into it, sir. As long as you don't have spoilers from like episodes you know, uh, onward from here, we can do like total spoiler conversation here. Okay, I don't know anything that's happening from here on out. I just know what's happened in episode one and two. All right. Oh, and I guess, like, the kind of, like, the thing I was trying to get at, I guess, is, like, they keep trying to, they, like, introduce a giant mystery, and then you're like, what's going on? Who is it? And then they're like, oh, yeah, it's just solved. And I guess in episode two, there's a, like, who's Rafi's handler? And you're like, oh, I don't know. And then they just tell you at the end of the episode and then they're like that romulan guy oh, i can't remember his name i should have wrote it down it was too oh, uh, is that it too yeah yeah they're like where's too he's underground and they're like oh here's his head and you're like oh i guess <laughs> that's that <laughs> yeah but if this was season uh two or season one of picard <laughs> the handler identity would have been stretched out for like four episodes oh my god yeah and if this was discovery that red lady statue would still be going on for like five more episodes <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um okay so maybe what was a highlight for you from uh i don't know these past two episodes that have been going on with star trek picard season three um the ship stuff is great. Like all the stuff in space, like I joked about how they're saving all their budget for that. I loved it. And then that, uh, the absolute highlight for me was the captain kind of just giving in to Picard and, um, seven of nines demands and being like, fine, I'll save them like reluctantly. And then that smash cut of him cutting the ship into like sniping the, or snapping the tractor beam. That was my favorite part. Was he at warp speed? That's what I was kind of confused about. Like, that that seems like a dangerous maneuver. Yeah, it was weird because it was like, did they go slow-mo on that? Like, because it, it was kind of like bullet time where, like, it like it looked like he either came out of warp, like you said, and then just slowed to normal. Or he came in and then went to bullet time, but it didn't have enough lead-in for that shot to establish the bullet time. 
Well, now you have me convinced, Dale, that the uh, the season finale is going to involve Patrick Stewart doing bullet time uh, as he tries to dodge phaser <laughs> fire. <laughs> yeah, he'll he'll be full on. Picard got his groove back, and he just does Neo from the Matrix back bends. I want to see him in like a leather cat suit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't put it past them at this point. Yeah. And he could get some of Sneed's uh, old time vintage sunglasses from his collection. <laughs> And the piercings. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. What, what's... Okay. Let me ask you this. Because Cam and I were, were discussing uh, the uh, kind of a prominent character. One, uh, Captain Liam Shaw. Are you are you on the fence about this guy? Is he just kind of like, eh, to you? Like he's going against, like, favorites? Or, I don't know. Are you digging what he's doing? I'm full... I did a full 180. Because in the first episode, I was like, this guy's a jerk. And he's rude to Picard. And he doesn't hmm. like Riker. I'm out. I hate him. And then in this episode, he totally redeemed himself when he was like, he basically hit that point where he's like, ah, fine, let's do it. And then like, then like when Pat, uh, Captain Picard like patted him on the shoulder after he was like, fine, do what you want to do for your son. <laughs> then it was, I was like, okay, he's part of the family now. We all love him. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> um, but do you see potential for that character? like throughout the season or do you think he's going to be more of a short-term character oh there's definitely he's i feel like he's gonna be the foil and the grounding voice kind of like the straight man i guess you would say if this was a comedy i feel like he's gonna play that role throughout the whole season this episode also saw the introduction of the much hyped villain Vadic. What was your response to this uh, Amanda Plummer character? <laughs> I have a bad confession. I was like, I didn't know who Amanda Plummer was, and yeah. every time she was on screen and she started talking in her like, "I'm an evil villain" voice, I was like, "Is that Fraulein from uh, Austin Powers?" <laughs> <laughs> and then once I thought it, I couldn't unsee it that it was. Like uh, like Missy Pyle, from, like mm. a, a, an older Missy Pyle, right? Yeah. I was like, she looks kind of the same. She's about the same age. And then I actually Googled, uh, like IMDb'd her right after the episode. And I was like, oh, she's the girl from Pulp Fiction who hasn't been in anything else I saw. I like her, actually. Was that Honey Bunny or what was the other? Or, or yeah, Sugar it was Honey Bunny. Top. Honey Bunny. Yeah, okay. Honey Bunny. Yeah. yeah. I actually... I was the same thing as the captain where I was like, oh, I don't know how I feel about this character. And then when they ran away and she just started laughing and she was like, follow them. I'm like, okay, I like her as a villain. She's very lively. I'm into it. Yeah. You don't see a lot of villains like that. Okay. So if she's honey bunny, does that mean she's going up against captain pumpkin? <laughs> I'm sorry. Retired Admiral pumpkin. Yeah, I think so. But okay. So, where do you see this villain going for the season, Dale? Like, where you're sitting now, where do you think we are headed? Uh, well, I hope they handle her better than they did the villains in season one, where they just killed them <laughs> and then they were done. I think... That's pretty high bar. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm afraid she's a time traveler. Oh. So I hope that doesn't pan out, and that would be, like, why she got all those weapons. And then... Oh, she's from 1994 Los Angeles. Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised they didn't see her when they're ripping around that city. Yeah. Um, I yeah, feel like... exactly. <laughs> and then uh, season two, right? Yeah. I yeah, okay. th Maybe that's what her motivation is, is she followed them back from there. Um, I... 
I feel like it's going to be the big classic showdown where well, uh, we kind of had it in episode or season two where they the fleet showed up to fight the Borg and then they got blown up and then they went into the alternate yeah. timeline. Except for this time, they'll show up and then there'll be this thing where they have to convince Starfleet that she's such a big threat. And then uh, like the last episode, there'll be a whole bunch of ships and there'll be like a big space fight. That sounds about right. Dale, what do you what do you ultimately want from season three of Star Trek Picard, which might be the final adventure we ever get with the TNG crew? Well, I kind of just want more of what they're doing. I feel like they figured out their mistakes in season two. And besides the like sleight of hand thing they keep doing where they're like, this is a big mystery. No, it's not. Wait till you find out what the big mystery is. Like they've already answered that. Of course, what's his name? Scott Crusher. Was that Jack? Oh, Jack Crusher is Picard's son. I'm glad they didn't drag that out because it was ham-fistedly obvious right from the get-go. And I'm glad they said who the handler was already. And I'm kind of okay with them not explaining um, Amanda Plummer's character's whole reason and motive to hunting him down or whatever. Like, is she just a bounty hunter or is there more at play here? So I'm okay with that, like kind of as a back burner mystery. And I'm glad they're, they learned their lesson from like discovery and stuff where they're not like, here's a big mystery. Yeah. 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 With like basically flags going off around it. And it's like, okay, how many episodes of this? Oh, 14. Oh, oh my, <laughs> oh my. <Yeah. laughs> um, what's your reaction been like seeing these old school characters. I mean, obviously we saw Riker uh, a couple times in season one, but we're seeing yeah. Dr. Crusher back um, murdering people. We're seeing Worf back yeah. murdering people. <laughs> What's it been like to see your favorite TNG characters back in their uh, first appearances in uh, 20 years? Well, um, my favorite character back is Riker because his comic duo with Picard is amazing. But my favorite introduction of a character has to be Worf because you're just like, is that Elnor? And I got really excited for a second. I know you guys hate Elnor, but I, I like yeah. him. And then I saw like, and it was all fuzzy. And then you saw like puffs of like white. So you're like, oh, that's a great beard. And I was like, oh, that's Worf. And then Elnor went to the salon that day. <laughs> yeah. And he's just cutting dudes heads off. And you're like, this is the badass Worf I've always wanted to see where he just like fully severs a guy's head. So that's my favorite one. But except for. Did you guys get hung up on the how they introduce Worf, he says his line, and then they have a musical cue, and then it just almost feels like an audible clunk by like smash cutting to the ship? Dale, uh... you are getting to one of our ongoing mysteries slash complaints about mm-hmm. the production of this yeah. show, in which they have these incredibly bizarre musical crescendos in -hmm. which the audio volume levels immediately dip down and there's an incredibly abrupt cut to the next act. These are the worst act breaks I've ever seen on television. And I, I, I cannot explain what's going on. It just doesn't make sense from a creative perspective or from just a basic production perspective. Yeah, it's almost like when you watch 
old TV shows that were on airing on TV with commercials. And then you watch the Beachcomber stream. <laughs> yeah, of course. And uh, oh, did you see Molly's Reach is up for sale? Is it really? Yeah, oh. 300 grand and it's yours. Oh, wow. That... <laughs> Holy moly. I, I might have to get in on that, sir. Yeah, I just saw that today. Um, yeah, like it's it's almost like they're editing it for TDB and you're like, does this even air on regular TV with commercials? Or are they like trying to eventually pivot where Paramount Plus will have commercials? I, I love deal? the idea that they're editing it solely for the sci-fi channel on ctv like it is <laughs> literally the only place in the world in which star trek picard is airing on just standard television it's canada it's otherwise on streaming services across the globe and these incredibly awkward like act breaks it it seems like something from like 1970s network television and it's like, is this just for the sake of like, I don't know, <laughs> the 40 million Canadians out there that really love the beachcombers? Like, <laughs> I'm down if that is. Yeah, okay. <laughs> to be a fly in the room or a fly on the wall in the room of that meeting where they're like, okay, we want to air Star Trek Picard in Canada on uh, Sci-Fi TV. And the head of Sci-Fi TV is like, only if you edit in commercial breaks. And then Paramount <laughs> Plus is like, sure. And then the guy from sci-fi was like holy crap that worked well what i would love to know about is like when they're premiering those episodes as they did like the first three or something like that mm -hmm. and the big you know grand premiere with all the cast terry metallis the showrunner akiva goldsman i'm sure is there all the the head-ups from the star trek universe alex kurtzman and they're sitting and watching these episodes on the big screen and they hit these clunky as hell act breaks. Like, <laughs> does everyone in the room just kind of like look at each other quietly and just continue on? Like, yeah. there's no way if you are a creative who's been making content or TV or movies or whatever for an extended period of time, you're like, yeah, it looks great. Looks awesome. <laughs> but Cam, as far as I know, you and I are the only one, like, only ones out there commenting on this, though. Yeah, it's true. There has to be more people noticing, though, because I noticed right away. Yeah, so I like I I can't explain it. it. It's not like it's going on on Star Trek Lower Decks or Star Trek Prodigy. Um, the first couple seasons of Discovery, I didn't observe this, but I Cam, didn't we observe this in season four of Discovery as well? Uh, I don't remember Discovery, but I do remember seeing it a couple times in Strange New Worlds. Oh yeah, you know what that? I think that's what maybe we're thinking of. Yeah, or uh, sorry, I'm thinking of rather. But it wasn't every episode. It was like, I think maybe like episode like two, three, and four or something like that. I remember, yeah, Memento Mori, the Gorn, that first Gorn submarine episode. It was just, it was such awkward act breaks because you would cut to the other act, which was in the middle of the scene that it just happened. So like act break, go back to the same scene. Sometimes it's even the same shot. Like mm. this is not good like filmmaking editing directing at all this is just amateur hour stuff i i cannot wrap my head what's going on in, in kind of the post-production houses that are handling this maybe it's um maybe in their inbound like control board it's like they have either just snap cut or star wipe and they just don't want to use star wipes <laughs> yes maybe we should have asked jonathan frakes about this at fan expo <laughs> well do you remember when uh Last year in Vegas, 
someone asked him about uh, Icheb's vivisection in uh, Stardust City Rag, episode 5, which Jonathan Frakes directed. Frakes, you could tell he was uncomfortable getting that question directed at him. He was kind of defensive. He was like, what, Kim, what were his exact words? Like, we're here to shock you or something like that? Or provoke you? Something yeah. like that. Yeah, and it's just like, I, don't, I like... And remember that other time we had a friend of the podcast, uh, uh, Stefan Estenilo, he went up and asked about uh, Star Trek Insurrection in which kind of the uh, Rafo versus Picard showdown. It looked like there's like a blue screen behind them, but they never filled out the blue screen with any imagery. And <laughs> like Freaks just said, doesn't look like it was finished, huh? And then Weird. Steph was like, and Steph was like, nope. And that was just the end of the question. It was just like it was so awkward, like up there. But I don't know. Like I, I'm happy to make Frakes uncomfortable next time we're at the convention camp. <laughs> I don't understand why he gets so like bristled by like questions about a like technical aspect of a movie he made like twenty something years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, if it's just opening, I get it. But like, it's twenty years old. Can't you be like, yeah, you know what? Um, we had a really cool idea on paper that just didn't quite translate the way we wanted. There you go. The best would be if he's like, he's remembering it and he's like, <laughs> and he's like, it reminds him of a fight he had with like a tech 20 years mm. ago. And then he just goes, calls up that tech. He's like, see, I knew it. I told you they <laughs> noticed. <laughs> um, you know, I, Dale. I'm just curious, like, because there's been so much Star Trek going on. Mm-hmm. What's the current state of Star Trek, in your opinion? With I think there are what, like, five television shows running right now. I also yeah. want to shout out the fact uh, you're a soon-to-be father uh, next month. Um, well, thank might you. you be introducing uh, your um, your child to I don't know something like Star Trek Prodigy by age I don't know six seven. I have no clue what age group. That show is actually directed at, considering Cam and I have been eating it up and, and loving it yeah. uh, in uh, in our late 30s slash early 40s. It's <laughs> it's funny because with a Prodigy, I was like, because any Star Trek that's coming out now, I'm like, well, it's Star Trek, so I'll watch it. And then Prodigy, like they had that big break that you guys keep mentioning. And I was like, oh, whatever, I'll watch it. And then when it came back, I was like, maybe I'll go to watch it. And I waited till it was done. And then I kind of binged it. And I actually liked it a lot more than I thought I would. And it's uh, it's right in the middle of the pack. Because of the five shows right now, I would say by far and away, Strange New Worlds is my favorite. And as far as I'm concerned, that saved Star Trek. Because it was like Discovery, which to me is the worst show on right now. It kind of like, it was dragging Star Trek down because they were kind of like trying to take these like... I don't know, moral platitudes or like try to be like, I don't want to say woke Trek because too many people who are annoying said that, but it kind of just feels like they're <laughs> being like, you know, trying to be super inclusive. And then they're kind of like t- taking everything else down. But then it's good that that's doing that because then they can have something like strange new worlds where they don't have to worry about any of that. And they could just make like straight star Trek and they don't have to worry about like, social problems that are contemporary to our time right now do you know what i'm trying to say and by straight star trek you of course are saying heterosexual star trek right that's my interpretation. 
<laughs> I'm trying to be inclusive, Tyler. No, I mean, and it's of course almost, everybody yeah. knows I am just joking. I, 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 I'm, I'm, everybody knows I am yeah. uh, very welcoming. Blah blah blah. Uh, not sorry, not blah blah blah. But it, it's yeah. Um, I no. like for me though, like uh, Discovery season four, like it's frustrating that like I I know what they're trying to accomplish. I think like from episode to episode, those singular episodes are more successful from a storytelling perspective than Picard season two was. But I'm looking at Picard season two, and I just like I think it was like I literally think it was the worst season of Star Trek ever made. Oh really? I wouldn't say that. Far and away, I I don't I don't I don't even think it's close personally. Well, Dale, what do you think is? Well, when Burnham gave the ship a pep talk, that was the absolute <laughs> bottom of the barrel for me. <laughs> well, he's got you there, Tyler. I was like, it doesn't get lower than this. You're not going to get me to defend Discovery Season 4 too much. Yeah. I just... It, it just... But it, it seemed as if at least the writers understood the basics of storytelling yeah i get what you mean like it's more well crafted than season two of picard and even there's even signs in season three where they're like we're making tv and this is what they do on tv mm-hmm. like when mm-hmm. raffi got the drugs in episode one and then she looked at it for like one two and then threw it down and you're like oh she's gonna step on it because they're just like hitting the tv tropes whereas like discovery it just oh, i don't know like it would be so much better if they turned Burnham to like five on the dial instead of having her constantly at ten, of doing mm, like Burnham yeah. stuff. So not as much crying then. More, more yeah, just exactly. um, teary <laughs> eyes versus like yeah. bawling. And like yeah, Discovery does have really good like graphics and space fights, and there are good action sequences, and there are characters I like. Like I still really like Saru and stuff, but it just mm-hmm. feels yeah. like you got to get through the mush to get to like the meat that you want. It's fascinating because I go back to my thoughts about season one of discovery. I really genuinely liked Burnham as a character. I thought she was very interesting. It was a very different kind of, you know, leading character mm-hmm. than we've ever seen in star Trek. Uh, Saru is cool. We had kind of that presence of Michelle Yeoh as Giorgio, Jason Isaacs as kind of a, a, a kind of charismatic captain. Uh, we'd never seen like a character quite like Tilly. It had mm-hmm. so much going for it in season one, despite some of the storytelling issues. I, I was gripped by those characters, and it just it frustrates me. Oh, Kim, you remember my reaction to the first five episodes of Stamets until they completely changed who that character was. Like Stamets, I yeah. absolutely loved. It just seems as if like the show is just an entirely different animal than what we originally invested ourselves in. And uh, to me, it almost feels kind of like a betrayal. And like, this is not the show that I had initially signed up for. And I know it, 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 it touches a lot of people, but I kind of have to believe it. it. It's just a very small fraction of people. And uh, I, 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 I'm waiting into like uh, deep water and like, um, because it, it's far more of a broad inclusive series than we've seen in Star Trek. And uh, as the, cisgender white male judging it so i i realize this is just kind of like eh, it doesn't matter I, I i'm still just not digging it the way that i did in season one when they still had so many of those elements still going for it and two and yeah exactly so it's just kind of like i don't know what happened after that <laughs> episode five the seed vault episode 
season three. <laughs> I think it was the Red Angel. It ruined the whole series. <laughs> Don't you mean the Red Lady? Oh, yeah. <laughs> AKA... <laughs> What's their obsession with red? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. That was almost red like... alert. It was almost like they got the <laughs> the brainstorming bubble notes from Discovery, and they're like, oh, we didn't use the Red Lady thing. We changed it. Let's use that. Red Just Squad. Threw red, it in there. Squad. Yeah. red Squad. Red <laughs> Squad. Well, it's like Dale said. They like buzzwords. It's mm-hmm. like Hellbird, Red Lady. Red Angel. It's things you can throw out one word, and the audience goes, yeah, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. And it's becoming a very well-worn trick for that uh, franchise. Just like Malbec. Red wine. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's like, right. okay, guys, uh, change up your tropes a bit. Yeah. So, Dale, I got to ask you this. Uh, in for a penny, in for a pound at this point? For Oh, I'm honestly, I'm at the point where, like, it's like... Star Trek is my sunk cost fallacy where I could just be like, I've watched too much of it to quit now. And I'm glad that like season three of Picard is actually enjoyable, which is good. Um, Lower decks. I love which it's very, and prodigy is good. And of course, strange new worlds. All three of those are actually fun to watch. Whereas discovery Still kind of feels like homework, but I'm not going to give up on it because I'm not going to like watch the first four seasons and then just quit. So I guess I'm in for a pound. Cameron and I, we're not quitting on Discovery. <laughs> we'll be there at the bitter end when Zora, you know, drives us into the sun. <laughs> <laughs> I would actually love that. <laughs> Episode two, and then they just start over with a new crew. <laughs> we'll be like waving cowboy hats in the air like Dr. Strangelove as we disappear <laughs> into the flaming abyss yeah. well, it, it makes me think of that scene from Stormy Weather and what you have Burnham in her EV suits uh, from season 4 and she's like everybody's in the buffers and she's mm. in full messiah mode as the ship is like at what 100 and uh, 100 degrees Celsius I, I'm just like oh wow messiah complex in full action right there. Yeah, definitely. Hey, Dale, mm-hmm. where can we find you on the social media? You can find me on Twitter at SuperDaleBot. Uh, I have a YouTube channel. Just Google Outrage Factory and you'll get the Outrage Factory podcast. And my other newer podcast that I don't think it was oh. around when I last time I talked to you guys. No. It's called The Dale Show. And mm-hmm. it's kind of just that is a my kind of show. Yeah, it's just about stuff I what like I feel like looking up, and it's like there's some conspiracy stuff, and then there's like alien stuff, and then there's like like the last episode we did on the Twitter files where I just like read some of the Twitter files and I talk about it, and I've done stuff like great like so if you're into like crazy like Anunnaki talk and stuff like that that a lot of people shy away from because I like fully admit that these are very crazy theories and it's more like I'm an enthusiast who thinks they're entertaining kind of like a Marvel movie where you get like the lore of Thor. Sure. Uh, Dale, I recall the last time that Cam and I were on the Outrage Factory, you and I disagreed very much about uh, UFOs. And, um, oh, yeah. <laughs> that, that was a fun conversation. Anyway, I can't remember exactly what happened, but... I, I, here, yeah. Here's the thing. I'm some, I believe in alien life. I, I believe there mm-hmm. is alien life out there. I just don't think that's unexplained like objects in the sky. I don't think it's proof positive of any of that whatsoever 
That that's oh, no, essentially yeah. my my thesis right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's it's a very big thing to get into at the tail end of the podcast, but I think it's more of they would be the equivalent of like a probe, like an information probe just coming here to check on things and stuff. I don't think that those are like life. It's either that or they are just military equipment blaming aliens. I'm I'm not going to get into it with you. So <laughs> we'll just leave it right there. We'll leave it right there. Okay. Yeah. I know it's tempting, right. but yeah, I get it. Dale, thank you so much for joining us again. We can't wait to have you back. We promise it, it, it won't be another, oh, good golly, uh, two and a half years. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm looking forward to it. And if, if you want me to talk about anything Star Trek, I'm watching them all, so. Okay, you'll be on every single episode of uh, season five of Star Trek Discovery. We'll sit it out, Dale. You got it. <laughs> you'll, you'll make me suffer with you guys. <laughs> no, no, we won't be there. It's, no, you. it's, it's, it's just you. It's just you. Yeah, I'll be your. I'll be your correspondent for your start. Your Discovery correspondent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. Oh. Dale, as always, camp. He delivers. Dale Definitely. delivers from the Outrage Factory, right? That is correct, yes. Okay. So, Cam, you and I, um, we both visited Fan Expo Vancouver. I went last year. I got to see um, the likes of uh, Ming-Na Wen, who was amazing last year, as I recounted in the uh, podcast almost exactly oh, one year ago. Uh, William Shatner was there. <laughs> yep. William Shatner was there. Yep. Uh, but Kim, you and I, we went all three days. This is your first time back since 2019. Holy moly. Let me ask you this question. Do the organizers of Fan Expo deserve your money? Uh, no. No, they don't. <laughs> um, okay. Although, I will say, at least on the plus side, they're not charging a lot of money. So they got that going for <laughs> That's them. That's true. Yeah, we paid, what, like 90 bucks for a three-day three pass or yeah three days yeah okay okay um so Kim, I, I, we'll get to the star trek stuff but like essentially um uh, we had a single panel featuring freaks mcfadden and spiner that we attended for about 40 45 minutes so there are other kind of sci-fi related things going on some tangentially related to some of the stuff that we've been doing over the years here at subspace transmissions but um Overall, it seemed as if you had something to say about the organizers of a Fan Expo Vancouver. I am all ears, sir. Well, I mean, my thing with Fan Expo is it is a very general con, which can often feel quite corporate. It's primarily like, let's just get them in a room full of, frankly, overpriced merchandise. I feel like when I go to like the Creation Star Trek events, I don't feel like I'm getting ripped off in the vendor's room, whereas the no, vendor's room no. at Fan Expo's... Uh, those prices are often ridiculous. Uh, so it's really more of a buying expo, but they do have, you know, constant panels going on. And, um, the panels, when you go to a general con, the questions tend to be quite poor. It's a lot of people walking up to the mic and being like, you know, who would win in a fight? Luke Skywalker or Rocky? Things like that. <laughs> um, or just like, what else have you been in? That sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so the questions are kind of poor. But in this case, too, like the logistics of the stage setup was very poor where you had the two stages, a main stage where most of the guests were, and then another stage on the opposite side of the venue where it was kind of smaller panels kind of facing each other with the audio bouncing back and forth. So the audio was terrible. And we should add, like, 
by opposite end of the venue. This is a rectangular venue. Yeah. You're not talking about like one side of the rectangle <laughs> to the um elongated side of the rectangle. You're talking about more of the um horizontal to horizontal side <laughs> of the same rectangle where it is audio competing against each other back to back, which was like just one of the most atrocious things I've ever experienced at any fan expo I've been at. And it seemed like a lot of the guests on stage were even more annoyed than the audience. And we're probably hearing the brunt of it. Um, Anthony Daniels from Star Wars was definitely commenting on it multiple points. C-3PO, for those that might not know. Yeah. Yep, the Star Trek stars who were there, not just the TNG cast, but also um, Ethan Peck and Ensign Mount from Strange New Worlds, also commenting on it. It became just a problem that plagued it. <laughs> wait, wait, Cam, Cam. I have to share the story in which there's somebody from the opposite stage who started what, like, kind of essentially yodeling yeah. over, like, the mic system while he, Ethan Peck is trying to give, like, a nuanced answer. And so then Ethan Peck just pauses. And he's like, okay, well, let's, you know, we have to applaud that yodeling. And the entire audience for the Star Trek stars start applauding for this yodeling that's happening on the opposite side of, like, what's going on there. It's just, like, the fact that so many, like, um, panelists kept complaining about the audio issues. I'm just like, like, who are these vendors that were given money? Like, these are so-called professional vendors doing so. Cam, what are you talking about? Um, the TNG. I'll let you <laughs> go into the TNG panel and the um, how that was set up there. Okay, so we've got Jonathan Frakes, um, Gates McFadden, and Brent Spiner. And it's the final panel on the Sunday. It's closing out the convention. And the three of them walk out kind of in front of the audience. <laughs> it was a real stealth entrance. Um, I think they may have just gone out the wrong door or something like that. I think that's what happened, yeah. I think so, too. But they kind of make their way to the stage. The audience is going crazy and they're hamming it up. Gates McFadden is dancing and all that sort of thing. But it seemed like legally that the fan expo... <laughs> contractually, contractually. Or contractually, I should say. Yes, better word. Yeah. Um, had to play a series of movie trailers and commercials before every panel. <laughs> there was no question about it. They had to do it, it seems. And so... Part of that package involved watching the teaser for the new Adam Driver film, 65, three times. You had to watch it three times. And so, and there was also the, the teaser for Scream 6, and there was a Vancouver Film School, you know, trailer, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But the TNG actors basically had to stand on stage awkwardly for like, I don't know, was it like three minutes or something like that? Well, no, just a series. Three minutes. Dude, it was more like eight, eight or nine minutes. Oh, my God. Well, it was, yes, like a lengthy period of time as these actors who had kind of like had a really fun entrance and gotten the whole crowd amped up had to then just like stand there awkwardly while trailers played over and over and over again for the movie 65. And at a certain point, they went and hid behind a banner awkwardly. Well, right before that moment, you could see uh, Gates McFadden was visibly like annoyed with mm -hmm. this like total like joke show that was going on uh spiner was like he like he started making fun of like there's like this avengers like commercial that remember there's some sort of avengers yeah like exhibit going on in vancouver 
And so you had the Hulk come on screen and like flex. And so then like Spider started flexing and you could see the actors trying to like wave off, like telling the people in kind of the audio video area to just like, let's turn this off. Let's get going. And they wouldn't. And it yeah. just kept going. And that's when I noticed Spiner started getting really annoyed. Um, Frank seemed pretty mellow <laughs> about the whole thing. <laughs> it was just like, Cam, this is not a professional deal. Like, no. I, I mean, I, I can understand what happened. It, and like, the actors accidentally wandered out through the wrong door a little too early. And instead of just going with the flow, the organizers are like, sorry, guys, here's eight minutes of commercials that everyone's going to have to sit through first. And it was just such, it was just such a joke. Um, Cam, as you said, I agree with you. Well, as me asking you a leading question, these people do not, <laughs> they do not deserve my money. <laughs> like, I'm just like, I was so frustrated, even just kind of the organization of the vendors area. Yeah. Cam, didn't you feel as if you're like uh, about to suffocate just with the bottleneck traffic? Yeah. Um, just like it, it felt as if you're um, going to get like, <laughs> it felt like something from World War Z, you know, <laughs> like, you know, it was just like, uh, I could barely breathe at times. Um, Kim, <laughs> I want to know, how much was the grand total of money you spent um, at the convention? I spent $3. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. I, I don't know. I just like, and I remember last year. <sighs> I don't even think I bought anything at all. Like, so yeah. this vendors area, which it's mostly focused on at this point, I'm just like, eh, you know, so I don't know. I, I just like, I, 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 that said, okay, we were entertained through a number of these panels. Um, For anyone that thinks that I'm joking, I, I Kim, you know this, uh, you could attest to this. I am not joking when I said that uh, the actress who plays uh, young Princess Leia. Um, is it Violet Blair or it's Vivian? Vivian Blair was astounding. Just a complete yeah. natural in her command of how to do these panels. Like she's nine or ten years old and she'd be asked questions and she would always be like, oh, that's so interesting. I never even thought about that when she was getting stupid questions like, if you could live on any planet in the Star Wars universe... What planet would you live on? And, and like, just those sorts of questions that, like, uh, how's some nine-year-old going to be able to, like, recite the encyclopedia of, like, uh, Star Wars planets? Yeah. But she was so well-spoken. She was able to dance around, like, really difficult questions. Or not difficult questions, but just kind of dumb questions. And then yeah. she had so many great insights. Like, people would be like, so who is your favorite actor to work with? And she's like, oh, that's so hard to say. Everybody was so nice to me, but I will just point out that, you know, like, um, Ewan McGregor, he's kind of like kind of a father figure because he is a dad. And so he really kind of took me under his wing. This isn't like an, a nine or 10 year old saying this stuff. She also kept talking about how, like, she loved droids more than humans. And yeah. it was just so adorable. Like, I, she is a pro versus Cam. I'll, I'll let you talk about, like, Vivian Blair as well. She is a complete pro versus, I don't know, let's say the, like, um, 38-year-olds on average age of uh, one of the other panelists uh, that we saw um, later on. But uh, any thoughts on Vivian Blair? Well, I mean, someone asked her about the online racial attacks against the actress who played the villain on Obi-Wan. Yeah. She navigated that question like a pro. Holy crap, yes. <laughs> yes, she said, like, I feel so bad for... No, 
they're like, there are complaints about your character and how did you, on social media, and it was very toxic, and how did you feel about that? You could see there's this, like, collective, like, oof Uh around the audience. And then she's like, well, you know what? Like, my father, he handles all the marketing, and which includes social media, and he's able to shield me for any of this. But I just want to say that Moses, my co-star, she got the worst of it. And it just wasn't fair to her. And she's such a good person. And I just hope that, you know, we, we can be better moving forward. This is a this is a ten year old. I'm like, well, yes. Why can't we get like like fifty five year old actors who have been going to these conventions for decades? Why can't they give such nuanced sorts of like responses to this sort of like difficult stuff to to navigate? Like Cam, I was absolutely astounded by like what she was able to do there. And even like there was a point where she got really like geeking out little kid where someone asked her about Disneyland. And you could tell that that just, like, lit her up to talk about <laughs> Disneyland. But she, like, kind of talks about her favorite rides. And then she goes, you know what? I've got to stop or I could go on all day. Let's get to the next question. And you're like, what? What kid does this? It was amazing because, like, the woman who asked the question, she, like, they were going, to, they were having a legit conversation that lasted, what, like, six minutes? And I was, I was riveted because they were having, like, a real conversation. It yeah. seemed natural. They're talking about like, oh, Splash Mountain has been rebranded as this. I wish I could go on this now. Oh, I love going there. She was talking about I, her own, like, there's, Kim, you talked about, like, your time in Disneyland and, like, there's, like, an amazing Star Wars ride there. She was going on and on about, like, how you have to go to this ride. And she was not exaggerating based on your own experience. Yeah, no, that's very accurate. Rise of the Resistance, everyone must do that before they die. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but Kim... <laughs> You and I, um, a couple times, we went to panels for fun because we had no idea who any of the actors were. We weren't familiar with any of the um, uh, movies or TV shows that were in that they were involved with, and we had fun because um, I don't know we're weirdos, but like um, just listening to people asking really dumb questions, like, "So you're on a superhero show, you know, The Flash, and you all have superpowers." If you could trade your superpowers with anyone else for the um, DC, I think I said Marvel, but the the DC television universe, who would you trade your powers with? You'd look at like three people up on stage, blank stares. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm like, oof. Like... It was just, like, dead silence. And, like, how many times did we hear, like, those particular folks, three of them, all, you know, they've been doing these panels a lot. You could tell because they, they, those same names always pop up for, like, conventions going on in Vancouver because they film in Vancouver. They kept saying, I don't know. It was, it was awkward to see that unfold. And it's something that, like, I appreciate a little more coming away from fan expo about the star trek cons that we go to like the creation ones where i don't love every question that gets asked at star trek cons some of them get a little bit uh a little full of themselves with questions Mm. but at least they seem to genuinely like understand the franchise they know who the actor is on stage and what they contributed to the star trek tv show or movie that they're you know they're talking about so like the question's will usually at least make sense. Whereas here, it's like, for example, Michael Rooker was on stage. And Michael Rooker is a (laughs) tornado of a personality. But like, (laughs) you know, he's getting a lot of questions about like Marvel lore and things like that. He doesn't know. And so he, he will play them off very quickly. Like, and just even say like, I don't know, next question. 
But yeah. like, <laughs> that's the case for like most of these actors. Like, you, people assume I find at these general cons that whoever's on stage is a massive fan of all the things at a fan expo. When that's probably not the case. Well, the other person I want to give praise to is Anthony Daniels, aka C3PO. Yeah, he was getting a lot of those. So, what was it like working with Mark Hamill? Questions. And he said straight out, like, these what was it like questions, they're not good questions. It's like, I, I, what was it like? I don't know. I, That was my life. That's what I did. It's just what it is. But then he also said stuff like, yeah, and uh, Mark Hamill, terrible body odor, never knew his lines, blah, blah, blah. He was clearly joking around. He's like, what do you expect me to say? Like, he was a complete jerk? Like, no, it's yeah. like, the only answer to that question is like, he was awesome. You know, like, he's he's a sweetheart. Like, you know, that sort of stuff. Anthony Daniels was amazing and just like how candid he was about the whole experience about like how filming the uh a new hope was just like uh, oof like nobody wanted to be there nobody yeah. thought it was going to be a good movie and just him being like very real with people which i really did like this guy is a total pro he's up there with vivian blair he's almost there with vivian blair <laughs> but like that's what i can kind of appreciate though and same with like i, th I thought carl weathers um, you know, obviously very popular now because of the Mandalorian gave really good answers to everything and seemed engaged with each person asking a question, which some people, especially when they've been on the con circuit for a while, you can tell they're kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know. Like it, it seemed like Carl Weathers was putting in effort as well. Oh, I got to go up and ask him a question. I, I was the second person to ask him a question. It was about, uh, Arrested Developments. Uh, I, I believe like, I, I wasn't like, what was it like being on Arrested Development? I was like, how did the producers convince you to play this fictionalized version of yourself in which you're like a total cheapskate? And then he looked at me, he's like, you're a plant. You already know the answer to this question, don't you? And I was like, no, I don't know. <laughs> and so, but it was fun for me to like, kind of like go back and forth with him, like you know, in a matter of just a, a few seconds. And then he gave just this really fun story about like, it, it was actually his idea to play like this fictionalized or, um, uh, they approached him about playing himself, but they wanted him to essentially play like Apollo Creed kind of as an acting coach for Tobias Funke from uh, Arrested Development. And he's like, eh, I don't know if that's funny, but, you know, I just had lunch with a friend. He is always forgetting to pay the bill or left his wallet in the car. He's always asking me to cover it. Wouldn't it be fun if I just played that as myself as like this cheapskate version? And it was, it was it was a great answer. Like he knows how to kind of tell a story, like weave a story. And so like Carl Weathers, as you said, Cam, he, he was great there. Yeah, and my friend's son was there. Um, he's started coming to Fan Expo since last year and did a photo op with Carl Weathers. And for the photo, Carl Weathers did the um, Predator uh, like handshake moment that he did with Arnold in the movie with nice. uh, my friend's son. And that wasn't asked for. That was entirely Carl Weathers wanting to engage with you know a young fan. So that was very cool of him as well because uh, I've done some photo ops. They don't always engage with you that much. <laughs> yeah. Um... There's one other actor I wanted to bring up. I'm, I'm blanking right now. You did see Peter Weller, a.k.a. Admiral Marcus from Star Trek Into Darkness. And who's the character that he played in the final two episodes of Enterprise? It was Colonel Green. Is, is that it? No, Colonel Green was affiliated with things that were going on in that episode. But no, he didn't play oh, right, Green. Right, right. He played like a businessman. Okay. But how many Star Trek questions did uh, Peter Weller get? A grand total of zero. Okay, well, uh, you said it was a pretty awkward panel, though, uh, and, and very much exemplified, like, why the organizers of Fan Expo uh, just don't deserve your money, right? 
pretty much yes it was very uh scattered and disorganized and uh uh peter weller basically recited his thesis that got him a doctorate at a certain point it was uh not the most engaging of panels yeah i i guess we've been complaining a lot um about some of the things um okay back to the uh the star trek stuff uh the uh ethan peck anson mount panel unfolded and um there's some interesting things shared you know uh mostly not related to star trek but i liked you know anson mount talking about taking on his role in the inhumans and he did not want to disrespect um people speaking sign language and so he wanted to develop something that you know, was kind of um cogent uh, and and cohesive and respectful and uh, when like the producing director said like ah just make something up he gave some like very interesting nuanced responses like he's not like an energy machine but he can sit back and he can make like some funny jokes like when um ethan peck said that uh he had previously filmed a pilot in vancouver about 12 years ago and uh it's not was like oh what was it called <laughs> ethan peck uh the selected and so now it's like oh pilot didn't get picked up i guess it was not selected you know like those <laughs> kinds of jokes were fun yeah. um yeah and I don't know. It's just, but Anson Mount is kind of a very serious man as well. So, you know, like he kept telling people like whenever they'd ask questions about like, would you want to do this? Or how do you feel about like bringing back these characters? He just kept saying things like, I think you have me confused. I am not a writer. I'm just an actor. I just do what's on the page. Um, so he's not a Vivian Blair in that respect. But um, I also loved one particular moment where somebody asked him like what's it like playing a character who knows his own fate yeah and he sat back and he's like well look um you have to acknowledge that you have to like dive into those moments when they happen but you don't want to have your main character brooding for the sake of brooding all season long and can't remember <laughs> i turned to you <laughs> and i just i said star trek picard <laughs> and it was yeah, just like yeah. but i just I, I just liked his insight there you know um was there anything i'm missing or sorry what are your kind of uh big thoughts about that one um no like i think the case with both that and the tng panel because i think people attending those panels assume you're going to get like scoops on the seasons or anything like that yeah. just in the era of ndas um, the actors are not going to talk about details about the seasons. So that could be a little frustrating because the Picard premiere had just aired. So you're like, oh, are they going to talk about the premiere? Eh, not really. They didn't mention it much on, you know, the TNG panel, nor did they give many teases for um, Strange New Worlds in season two, other than they're going to take some major swings. And um, they just talked, of course, about the Lower Decks crossover episode we'll be getting. But again, that's kind of pre-approved stuff that i'm sure has been yeah. floated many a times elsewhere so it's kind of a bummer when you can go and see these actors who are on these shows we can't wait to see what's next or what's going on at the moment and they really can't talk about it that much but that's yeah. just the new era i went in there expecting that i think a lot of fans actually did you notice there weren't very many questions from fans at the tng panel about picard season three it was mostly just questions directed at Brent Spiner and it got kind of awkward and like Brent yeah. Spiner kind of kept looking at his panelists, like just kind of shrugging his shoulders, you know? So, um, and, and look, I'm, I'm sure his fellow friends, cast members, like they're, they were fine with it. I, I don't think anybody uh, was bugged by that because, you know, Gates McFadden and, and Frakes, they were 
given like questions as well but it was definitely the brent spiner show for a good chunk of it oh and i mean data is the people's favorite right like if you drop him at a general con people are going to be more excited about data than they are Riker or crusher was there anything like any story that came out of that that you had not already heard before like who knows how many other conventions we've seen these particular stars at no real stories no um just there was some you know amusing little anecdotes and whatever of just them ridiculing the sound or things like that but in terms of actual stories to tell on a podcast no there was no real like breakthrough here's what really happened on star trek insurrection kind of stories or anything like that okay overall um i might have to be a little bit more clinical when it comes to my passes to fan expo next year i was perfectly happy with my ming na wen shatner day one day last year i don't know if i'm buying a three-day pass next year though no the only way they could get me is if you have like star trek programming over like the three days that i really feel like i have to attend uh (laughs) but outside of that no okay Okay, so I think on that note, our assignment is complete. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, we want to hear from you. Jump over to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash subspacepod. Of course, next week we'll be back with episode three of Star Trek Picard. Where are we going to go next, Tyler? Um, <laughs> Beta Z. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Actually, maybe, maybe, maybe Jordy will uh, pop up. I, I think by then it's, it's Jordy time, right? I think so, too. Okay. Okay, you can, of course, find us on the Twitter. I'm at Cam, V is in Vatic, Smith. You can find me at Reportin. That's R, R is in Redacted Statement from Frankie Broker, E-P-O-R-T-O-N. <laughs> okay, so until next time, the arena is closed. When Burnham gave the ship a pep talk, that was the absolute <laughs> bottom of the barrel for me. <laughs>